Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and we're here at DMDII, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Carr. Yes. Thank you for that lovely introduction, Mr. Zanger. I'm glad we just finished lunch and I revved up and carved up and ready to uh, record this wonderful pre-interview uh, that you're going to listen to in just a little bit. Yeah, we just ate at a actually a favorite restaurant of ours called En Hakor, and we had a uh, poke bowl. Yeah. Which is you know one of the sushi one of the great amazing restaurants here in Chicago that you I can, know uh, eat at when you come to IMTS. Absolutely, I highly recommend it too. It was awesome. But anyway, you know a little bit of information on uh, Matt before we get into the interview. I want to I want to share with you. You know how common in this industry the uh, f- multi generational family vibe is, right? Pretty much every manufacturing owner that I know. Well, I mean, seriously, I would say, I, I don't know what the metrics are, but I would say it's well over 75%. Multi-generational. Sounds about right. Second, third, even fourth generation in the family business. I would say it's about right. Matt is no stranger to this. However, uh, what he shared with me was a very unique story about the company that he started with his father in um, central Wisconsin. Okay, so he started it with his father. He started it with his okay, father that's a little bit in central Wisconsin. And, you know, like you, like me, like all of our peers that are in multi generational manufacturing companies, he had his share of issues along the way. Um, unfortunately, Can you imagine some of them, starting your business with your father as no, opposed to. I could not do it. Me neither. I, I could I not do it. I love my dad. And- I love my dad dearly, but at the same time, you know, because we don't have the same mindset. Well, first of all, we're from two entirely different generations. He thinks one way, I think another. And I don't think he would have given me that much authority as a voice of reason to help evolve the company to the next level. Yeah, you almost need to wrestle it away from them, don't you? Yeah, literally. My succession plan was kind of a wrestle. It took me like seven years. Maybe that could be a future episode. And to all you younger, burgeoning manufacturing leaders, sometimes you need to wrestle it away from your father or your parents, your mother, whatever. Not in a bad way, but just it has to be done that way. And I would think even my dad would attest to that as well. You know, Jason, Matt was brought to us from IMTS. He's part of their IMTS Rock Star Series. And what's unique about his story is uh, how it all played out, A. But a lot of the other rock stars that we've interviewed, it's funny. Boy, we all have the same pains. It was really rewarding for me over the last few weeks to record a lot of the IMTS rock stars and and hear everyone's stories, no matter big, small, medium, whatever size the companies are, everyone has the same issues. That's why if you're connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your game because people have been there before you or you've been there before them and you can help them. Absolutely. So before we even get to the interview, Jim, tell me something that's going on. You know, I'm always talking about myself. and You are always talking about yourself. To be quite honest, I just have a lot more going on than you. So (laughs) (laughs) your life is kind of boring compared to mine. Well, I know. 
<laughs> You've got all those kids at home. So Mine I, are leaving the nest and yours is getting bigger by the day. Yeah. So anyway, enough about me. What's going on with you? Well, I just hired a brand new sales manager at Car Machine and Tool oh, last great. week and I'm super stoked about it. We've never really had a full-time employee, salaried, commissioned, whatever, full-time sales manager before. And it's kind of funny how this young man came to me. We weren't looking for a sales manager. He was working for a company, and uh, I mentioned to him once, if you ever decide that you want to work for me, you should come back. And he came back about eight months later after I made that, You know, planted the seed, like you always say, when you do your mergers and acquisitions. And what he told me was, and was really a compliment to what I'm doing with Carr, is he said, you know, you have such a high brand. Your company has such a great branding. I want to be part of your company. I want to be part of the growth. I want to be part of the the next evolution. So brand and culture have a lot more to do with it than you think. Not only is it for your customers and your vendors, but it's also to retain and attract talent. Oh, 100%. My dad always makes the comment. So we have a very, at Zengers, we have a very young, diverse team, diverse in just a lot of different ways. I mean, there's probably like a half a dozen languages that are spoken at Zengers, and, and the team is very young. And my, my dad always makes the comment, these people would never have gone to work for me. And, and, you know, it's a, it's very much a culture that I have created over the years, which I think is a very positive culture. And the people that are coming on board on a continuous basis is, is really contributing to that positive culture and that positive brand, like you mentioned. So that's great that you've done that. And, you know, I mean, to be quite honest with you, I don't think you're very good at sales. So I'm glad that you hired somebody for that. <laughs> Just quite kidding. frankly, I think I think we're going to kill it together. I'm just but, kidding. I'm just no, kidding. I know you're actually you good. I know. you're a good salesman, but I think that's good for you to have this. It is because it, it gives me more time to do um, making chips, or like you always say, lead the company and develop the vision of the company, a vision yep. for the company. And I have a clear vision, and I've shared this vision with the new sales manager, and he is aligned brilliantly. So great. Well, I have to have him on the show. Um, maybe three months in, and we'll see what he has to say. But uh, great, I'm really interested for him to share his um, the reason he was attracted to Carr and uh, what he thought about that. Um, so, Jim, do you have anything for manufacturing news? I do, Jason. Remember when we were in Miami and we were talking about the tariffs that were just being imposed? Yeah, it was very were, green at that time. It was very green. It was it was new news at that time, and how ironic that we were at Trump hotel giving that interview yeah and, and just as a, just another making chips disclaimer i feel like we have to say this every time this is not political not at all we're not for or against trump in any other kind of political manner we just talk about politics as it relates to manufacturing that's jim and i's only interest he's the president of the united states i mean i mean there's nothing we can do about that be respectful and report on it but remember, at that time, we were talking about the imposed tariffs, and I just saw an article today. It's dated May 7th, so it's fresh. It says nearly three-fourths or 75% of American manufacturing firms and half of the service companies expect the tariffs imposed by the U.S. and China will increase prices, and a large share expect supply disruptions, according to a survey released today. Wow. Wow. It's exactly what we thought was going to happen. 
We knew that there were the prices were going to be increased in some capacity. They're actually saying, as the um, article goes on, about 5.4% is going to be the price increases, while the service firms put the figure at just over 7%. So I had no idea that it was going to be that impactful, and I kind of knew that it would disrupt everything with regards to people there'd be hoarding of materials and people wouldn't be able to you know get it as you know i'm seeing that already with my steel suppliers the prices are ticking up but the hardest thing it is now jason is to get the material quickly oh yeah no doubt about it you know we sell as a supplier of you know tooling mro supplies safety supplies and we even have like a small steel division from a company that we acquired um years ago I'm seeing price increases, notifications like you would not believe. I mean, it's all the time. And um, it's bigger numbers than what you would normally see in the past. And I think that people are just hedging their bets in a lot of ways. I've even seen some people inform us of price increases and then go back and say, well, no, you know, we're not doing it because, you know, they changed the bill or whatever it was. But I've heard from some reliable sources that it's going to cause like a three quarter point in um, GDP decline because of the tariffs. But, you know, that's an overall GDP decline. Right. And what we're concerned is, of course, what, Jim? Manufacturing. Right. So my question is, you know, how is this going to affect the manufacturing industry? And, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I think that we should actually get somebody on that can speak to this a little bit more intelligently than you and I. I think that's a great idea because... Really, I think this is a major thing. Yeah, it is. And it needs to be explored and dissected and really talk about the uh, implications so we could better equip the metalworking nation for what to expect in the future as it relates to these tariffs. I would say in the short run right now, expect a slight increase in prices. I would expect a little bit longer lead times. And I would expect that you're going to have hard time getting materials that are rare. So the rare materials, I think they're going to be hoarding. I'm not an expert in this, but I definitely think that we, maybe we can get Bill Strauss back and I'm sure he would know. Yeah, he would know, or the gentleman from Reshore. Harry Moser, yeah. And I actually have a a customer that does a lot of uh, steel processing. I mean, he hedges his steel buys like six to nine months in advance, so he probably knows a lot about this too. Yeah. All right, well, enough about that. Why don't we get to the interview with Matt Goose? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to having you hear the episode and everyone enjoy the episode. Let me know what you think. Jim, the East Building has four pavilions. Tell me what these pavilions mean to you. EDM. Electronic discharge machining. Quality assurance. You guys make quality parts? Absolutely. And that's a big deal nowadays, too, because everyone can machine parts, but not everybody can machine a quality part. How about controls and CAD CAM? CAD CAM is it, man. We use MasterCAM in my shop. There's many, many other manufacturers, quality manufacturers of CAD CAM systems. And there's going to be more this time around at IMTS. Very well represented, I'm sure. And then the last pavilion is components, cleaning, and environmental. Environmental, another big thing. Got to keep your shops clean. A lot of your big OEMs won't even do work with you unless you're on ISO 14001, which is environmental certification. Eat off that floor. You got to eat off that floor. You got everything's got to be 5S to the hilt. Place has got to look good. But uh, I'm telling you right now. If if you want to find out about this stuff, go to IMTS.com. IMTS. Early bird pricing is before August 10th, September 10th through the 15th. Mark it on your calendar now. Hello, Metalworking Nation. It is Jim here, and I am 
interviewing one of IMTS's 2018 rock stars today. And I'm looking forward to letting him share his inspiring story and what he's doing differently in our industry. So I have uh, with me today in my portable studio here in downtown Chicago, a gentleman by the name of Matt Goose. That's G-U-S-E. He is the president of MRS Machining Company in Augusta, Wisconsin. It's uh, very near Eau Claire. Matt and his wife, Vicki, own MRS. The company was uh, started by his dad in 1986 in uh, his family garage. Same thing with me. Uh, it was a little bit earlier but than 86, but my dad started in 72. He's been in manufacturing for over 30 years. When he graduated from high school, apparently his dad uh, said, hey, Matt, what about joining the family business? And Matt went to uh, Chippewa Valley Technical College and got a degree there for uh, manufacturing. He's just a all-around great guy. And uh, Matt, welcome to Making Chips. It's a pleasure to have you with me today. Well, thank you very much, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. You're welcome. Matt, tell me a little bit about how you got started in manufacturing. I mean, I, I know I just gave your bio, but uh, tell me a little bit about, well, why did your dad start a machine shop in 86 in the, in the garage of your family house? My dad started in 86 when the place he and I were working at closed up. The owner, unfortunately, got killed in a car accident. Wow. So it was kind of a sad moment, but sure. my dad was friends with some of their customers, and they had like $10,000 of material sitting in the building. And so they asked my dad if he could store it in his garage, and he said, sure. Well, then like two days later, they asked him, hey, can you finish those parts? And my dad says, well, I got a couple of benchtop machines in my garage. I'll give her a shot, and MRS was formed. <laughs> no kidding. Yep. So your dad started with just a couple of bench top machines in your garage. He took MRS from, was it called MRS uh, that he took the business or did he name it? He named it his own. He named it his own. So he didn't buy the assets of the company that he was working for nope. that the, the shop owner died. He just had relationships being in that position. He knew the customer base. There was no successor to that company and your dad just took that business over or a good portion of that. Yes. Yep. He took a opportunity at the moment and just started from there. How long did he stay in in the garage of your family home? We stayed there till um, 92, six years. Yep. Did you move? I mean, obviously you weren't using tabletop machines anymore. You bought a couple CNC pieces of equipment, freestanding. And tell me how that all played out. Yeah. So when I joined him, um, he was, we were all manual and for the first two years. And then, you know, he went to go look for work and you pick up the phone and call people. The first words were, do you have CNC? And I, I would say no. And click. They didn't want to talk to you. Uh, they didn't think I was serious enough if I wasn't going to invest in technology. I bet that had an impactful dynamic on how you do things nowadays. Oh, yes. Because once you hear that, you feel they make you feel like you're about uh, two inches tall and you're going to do everything you can to reverse that trend and make your business fantastic. And you're going to do everything you can. So for six years, you're in the shop. You're you're starting to buy a couple of uh, CNC machines. And then what happened? Your dad said, hey, I think we need to get a brick and mortar facility. Actually, my mom was the one that- decided, Oh, your mom? Yeah. My mom was the president. And- she had, that was just really a name and a title, but she said, um, Dad's working too much, and my house is getting dirty from everybody coming in and out of here, and 
So she encouraged us to find a building. That's really funny. So your mom was the one that actually pushed you guys out and said, hey, you got to get out of my house. You're making too much of a mess. You need a brick and mortar. Yep. And she actually found us the building. She oh, was is that so, right? She was so desperate. So she, uh, my uncle had owned a craft store and he moved out to a bigger one. And she said, this is where you're moving to. In the middle of January, about 20 below was a day. And I remember it's the <laughs> Long John's moving equipment. It wasn't much fun. I bet. I bet. So how many square feet was it at that time? It was about 1,500 square foot. It wasn't much bigger in the garage, but it was a move in the right direction out of the house. All right. Would you have CNC vertical machining centers or uh, turning centers? Or what was your product line? What was your your niche business back then? At that time, it was just short run, quick turnaround. And um, our first mill was a CNC knee type mill. So you're running these trees in your facility, and then what happened? This is probably in mid-80s? Mid-90s. Oh, mid-90s. Okay. One of our customers received a government contract to make some equipment for the military. Okay. We're hauling around uh, toll tractors, and that's what kind of made us go boom. And we had like a six-month contract with them to make so many parts. That was the explosion of your company. That's what started it pushing us in the bigger direction. So you had in that 1,500 square foot facility that your mom found for you, how many employees did you have at that time? Um, we had three. And then you got this new contract and did you double, triple, quadruple? Your- Just about doubled. We hired two more people. Okay. And then new equipment, I would imagine? Yes. But that time I, I bought used at that time. Okay. New to us. Absolutely. So things are rocking and rolling. Give me a timeline now as far as yours, because we all know the dreaded 2008 when that happened. And I don't know how affected MRS was during the recession. Well, that was always one of my goals in life, to let our business through a recession. I just didn't know it was going to be that bad. And I was like, once I kind of preached that for like- Man, I don't think anybody thought it was going to be that bad. It was like, whoa, I wish I would have regretted those words. But you know what? Today we're still here. That's right. Absolutely. And there's a lot of us that are, and you know everything's going great right now. When did you take over as president? It was probably back, I'd say, late 90s. I got to remember, me and my dad were machinists. We knew absolutely nothing about business. Someone would ask me back then what income and balance she looked at, and I would probably say, is that a banking thing or something? You know. So it can be done. You know, What I did is I joined a peer group. And that awesome. just set me to that. Just brought me to the next level. I, so I was in that peer group for three strong years. So I learned all the business aspects of it. Awesome. You were probably scared to death too that first night you showed up to that peer group, right? Oh yeah. Because you didn't know how those strangers were going to react to your story, right? Yep, that's correct. Yeah, I've been there before and done the same thing. But how rewarding, obviously, it was for you because it empowered you to move the company forward and evolve the business. I didn't know how much over. I mean, how much that that would improve MRS. It, it was just like a, a missile out of a you know a cannon. Was it through a local manufacturing association, or was it through the um, Chippewa Valley Technical College? So it was a local businessman who just thought there was a need in the area, so he just kind of started one. And I knew him through. Um, don't remember exactly when or how I met him, but he just encouraged me to get into this peer group. So he's still around today. Um, he's retired now, so but we still make contact every six months or so. Awesome. Tell me in the beginning stages of this peer group what you learned, what you were hearing. You know, obviously it just didn't happen overnight. It it's, was baby steps forward. Tell us the metalworking community that's listening to the show. What are some of the things that you started to do to make a difference in your company? 
Um, numbers. Um, Number. Oh, sorry, tracking. Tracking. Yeah. If you don't know the numbers, you can't measure it, you can't manage it. That's what I learned. So that was the number one thing. What was the next thing that you learned? Um, I learned how to, like human resource stuff, what's benefits and what's that all detailed and how you set up vacations for the employees, how you handle employees. I always have, if I treat people how I want to be treated, mm-hmm. things like that is what also helped me. It's really all about, you know, learning from other people. You told me before you went on Mike that your dad has passed in 2013. Was it sudden? Did you have, was there a business succession plan in place before he passed? Or do you feel comfortable sharing that with us? And So my dad was diagnosed with a, a lung di- rare lung disease and they gave him two years to live. It was sad news, but I tried to turn it into a positive. So we had actually had two years to plan. You can always prepare for it, but until it happens, that's when it hits you in the face because it was a slow process when he passed away. And of course, you take him to the hospital. And there he is sitting there one night. I was up at a career show up in Eau Claire and they called me and told me to rush to the hospital because he was it was going to be hours or minutes. I go down there and I get in the hospital and here he's sitting there eating ice cream. And he's like, what are you doing here, Matt? And I'm like, I thought there was something the matter with you. Well, actually there was, but he just didn't, you know. So the next day he did end up passing away. But yeah, we planned. We uh, made sure that my name was such, you know, percentage of the stock was in my name. Um, at that time, my mom still owned the 51%, but she made sure the 49% was in my name. And, you know, my dad kind of did the finance part at that time. You know, he kind of set me up five or four key numbers to look at. You know, look at your accounts receivable, accounts payable, your backlog, and key numbers to look at. He just kind of worked me through it. And when he passed away, of course, it was tough. I actually admit that it, it, I lost half myself. I mean, when you start a business with your dad for 25 years and you all of a sudden you lose that, it emotionally hit. But I had, I have one good thing in my going for me and I have some really great people. I tell people that I may be the rock star here, but I tell you what, I got some awesome, awesome musicians behind me playing some wonderful music. So it, it was the people that got me through it too. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So your mom owned 51% and you owned 49%. And you told me that right now in 2014, you and your wife, Vicki, are the sole shareholders of MRS. Yeah. So the story got a little sadder as we went. So my dad was down to like probably five months, they predicted. And um, one of my uncles passed away and my mom didn't come to the funeral my sister took my mom to the hospital. Well, that diagnosis didn't turn very well. They gave my mom two months to live because she had developed cancer. So I was like, didn't know what to do. And so here I was taking care of my mom and dad and trying to run MRS. And it was a very stressful time for me, but I managed. So luckily my mom went another year before my dad passed away. So what I learned going through my dad process, we had to basically turn around and do it all over again. Oh, you're kidding. So it's a tough road, but hey, you know, life's good. So now it's 2014. You and your wife are sole shareholders of MRS. And I believe based on what I've learned about you already is when you you really started in this growth mode and you really started to flourish. Would you say so? Yes. Share with us what are some of the key things that you put into place that really started to make the company grow and, you know, create this dynamic culture there? Through this process, I learned to trust my employees more. So I give them the direction that, you guys, this is yours. You guys got this. You can handle this. And I just kind of backed out of the way. It just started feeding on itself where the 
my shop people took over making the parts. My general manager took over the human resource stuff. My customer service person took over the sales, the coding, the material ordering, and I just kind of helped them when I needed. From 2014 on to now, how has the company grown um, with regards to square feet, business, employees? Yeah, well, 2015, we took a little bit of a hit. I had part of my business got a little over that 20% per customer thing. But over the years, I've had a list of people that wanted to do business with MRS, and I would have to say the word no. That's tough to do. Tough to do, but I wrote their name down. There was an opportunity. I called and contacted them. So when oil and gas business kind of took a little tank there in 2015. Right. So luckily, I have some great customers, and I have some great people working for me. And within two or three months, we turned that around. And that was just said, okay, now we need to diversify here. So we started diversifying in those other industries, and we leveled it all out. Awesome. So you were at how many employees in 2014, and how many are you at today? Um, 2014, we're probably right about where we're at now. But when we took the 215, we I didn't really lay nobody off. We just kind of did a voluntary layoff, and we circulated it. So some people did leave. We got down to about 40, but now we're back up to 47 again. That's great that you didn't have to lay that many people off. Business is pretty good right now? Yes, it's by far the best I've ever seen it. Yeah. What do you think about the future? I like to predict out six months and no more than six months. But what I'm seeing is um, the thing that would probably going to hurt us, if anything, is you know everybody's struggling for employees. Without employees, you can't grow. I think maybe in another year or two, that might start catching up with us. And of course, we all know about the tariffs going on right now. I don't think that's going to hurt us as bad as they think so. A friend of mine was Scott Paul, who kind of does the manufacturing alliance thing. And I contacted him. I go, hey, what's going on here? And he says, hey, just take a deep breath and give it a couple months. It'll all level out. I'm starting to see that now. You're not seeing any uh, price hikes or gouging or hoarding or you can't get material. Yeah, I'm seeing a little bit. The price increases. It's just ticking up a little bit. Yeah, it's not like... Not crazy. No, not crazy. It seems like you really uh, have injected a fantastic culture into your company. You trust your employees. You're there for them. You support them. You obviously have good benefits. They're staying with you. They're probably doing a great job recruiting for you as well, right? Because Joe Smith's got a buddy that works at a welding shop, and he's telling him how great it is to work at MRS. So are you seeing that that's happening? Yep. Your best recruiters are your current employees. You know, if you create a good culture, you make people feel important and trusted, the rest takes care of itself. I could not agree with you more, Matt. In preparation for this interview, I had asked Matt what makes him a rock star as president of MRS. And he sent me 12 bullet points. I only asked for three, but he sent me 12. And I went through them and I highlighted a couple of them. And I just want to read them off because I think they're really relevant and I like them. So one, for instance, he says, like brushing your teeth every day, make it a habit, not just once in a while. So I get that. So if you're going to be doing something, make sure you're doing it every day and be consistent. Here's another one. Create a good culture where people feel important and trusted. Skills gap, is it as bad as it is or is it society setting them up that way. Why don't you elaborate on that a little bit? 
one thing we like to teach in the high school student-run business we have is called the skills gap. It's the skills gap, but it's um, soft skills. We teach soft skills. Brush your hair, use deodorant, yep, brush and then, your you know, teeth. Play nice in the sandbox. Right. I see kids on their phones trying to get all their answers and just that phone, they idolize that phone. And so we tell someone to go get up and go do something, they're looking at their phone. And I just think maybe we're softening these kids, people up that we shouldn't be doing or not teaching them a little more of the physical part of things. That's great. This was my favorite one, Matt. Three things to best communicate. Words, 7%. Tone, 23%. And body language and facial expression, 70%. Where did that come from? Well, I remember back in 2000 when Y2K was going to close down our computers. Oh, they were all going to blow up. Yep. Everything is going to be done over the internet. We don't need nobody, facial contact and stuff. Actually, I just like, how is this going to work? You know, I'm horrible at English. If you get an email from me, my grammar isn't the greatest and I don't know how to word things right. So how can I tell who Matt Goosey is or MRS Machining is if I can't type in words? I still think it's best to talk to someone face-to-face like we're doing now because you can't get the facial expressions and you can't really get that, just that feeling in the air that comes around and just... You can't get that over the phone. It's much better, like you said, looking into each other's eyes and, you know, and it's so true. That was my favorite one out of the whole thing because Jason and I totally agree with that statement. That's why we don't do any interviews remotely on the phone all of our interviews take place in person because we don't want to lose that physical, emotional connection that you do in a one-on-one interview. And the last one here that I have highlighted is find their gifts so they can be fruitful. Give an example. I feel like you've had an experience already. Yeah. So I go. I work with a lot of high schools. My part-time job is getting in the high schools getting kids involved in manufacturing. And that's another day and another whole subject I could get into. But there's so many kids out there that don't know what they want to do in life. They're from broken homes. And everybody's got a gift and talent, Jim. Everybody does. And when you show them what their gift and talents are, and you can just mentor them a little bit, they just come out of their shell and they're just become so fruitful. that I mean, I've seen people literally can't even say two words in front of nobody with their heads down until a year later setting up in front of a hundred people giving a speech. That's awesome. That's empowering, isn't yep. it? And for you as a president and a leader in your company to actually see that evolution of that young person or, or that you know middle-aged person, whoever it be, you're working on your employees and, and, and enabling them to grow within the company. Yeah. And that's why my shop average age, I'm a little discouraged. It was 31. Now it's 32. But oh, you lost so, a year. Huh? I lost a year, but that's all right. We'll we'll get her back though. So just before we leave, uh, leave us with three bullets or three things that are the most impactful things you've learned in your manufacturing career, so that that might equip and inspire uh, an existing or a future manufacturing leader in the metalworking community. Yep, I go by the three P's. Every business has got to have three P's, and what those three P's are, you got to have a process. You got to have a product, and most importantly, you got to have good people. Excellent. And it's a simple thing to remember process, product, and people. Invest in those three, and you'll have a very fruitful business. That's correct. 
Matt, it's a pleasure having you here today. Matt, I'd like to um, go ahead and give your name out to people on LinkedIn. So if they have a question and a follow-up, could they do that? It's uh, Matt Goose, G-U-S-E. Thank you for being on IMTS 2018 Rockstar. As I told um, one of the other guests that I had here today, please feel free to stop by. I'd love to introduce you to Jason. And um, we're going to be at IMTS every day at 12 noon uh, doing a live show on the Grand Concourse stage. So come on by, say hello. Okay. Well, thanks, Jim. Thanks, man. <laughs> So, Jim, that was a great interview. You know, I really did enjoy Matt's statement. And I know it's not like, you know, this is so profound, but he really gets back to the core of things, which is those three Ps, the people, the process, and the product. And he's so spot on with that. And I think that a lot of times manufacturing leaders are only focused on the one P, which is the product. And they want to get it on time, quality, and cost effective. And they're not as always as concerned with you know, the people, you know, that's important. And like Matt said, when he was in a time of tribulation, I guess you would say his people came through for him. And, you know, I am fortunate enough to also be blessed with a great team. And, you know, when I had my latest baby, I took quite a bit of time off and my people really came through and they've, you know, rocking it without me. Yeah. I think that um, his story is the same as all of us unlike the fact that he had some unfortunate circumstances with the sudden um, death of both of his parents. Uh, What was good about that was they knew that it was grave and they knew they had a very limited window of time to make changes to the business and, you know, make that succession plan happen. But then after that, his um, dad passed, his mom passed shortly thereafter. And, um, Man, I could feel his pain when he was telling me that story. And um, all of us that are in the family-owned and operated companies, I've never had to feel that pain before. And um, my certainly my heart went out to him. But, you know, that makes you stronger. It really does make you stronger in the long run. And uh, you learn to get by because at the end of the day, life isn't that bad. And God only gives you what you can handle. And Matt did a great job. Yes, absolutely. So, Jim, guess who we've got for our next episode? Julie's back. Julie. Julie Poulos. Yeah, Julie's back. The the marketing maven. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to get some great insights from Julie next episode, and it's going to be, you know, just a normal bubbly episode of Making Chips with Julie Poulos. A lot of laughter. Exactly. Now, you interviewed her, right? I did interview her this uh, this time, too. Great. I've got to hurry up and get in the the studio and uh, record with her, but that's easy. She's always fun. All I got to do is get a bottle of Cabernet and we, we're ready to go. Yeah. So hopefully uh, you manufacturing leaders out there are enjoying the episodes um, with these rock stars. And hopefully you're also enjoying the episodes uh, with Julie Poulos. And as always, you know, Jim and I love the feedback. So you could always email us. You can go to our website and you can contact us through the website as well. Listen to Matt's episode and just ask yourself, you know, what would you do if somebody in your company, um, a key person, something happened to them and they were out and you didn't have a lot of forewarning of it? I know my dad, he's got, uh, you know, a, a very large insurance policy on me in case, you know, something happens to me, like I get hit by a bus or something like that, just so that he's got a quick exit plan, I guess you would say. But, you know, not everybody has that. So you really need to I think about that. I didn't know you did that. Yeah. But I have one on Ryan, too. Do you? you should. You I know? did that. Yeah. I've. You know, I've known you for five years. I've never known that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's I, funny. You put life insurances on your key people. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's because called key, it's called key person insurance. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, anyways, think about that. So, let us know what you think, Metalworking Nation, and you'll hear from us soon. <laughs> Bam. As always, thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feet of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The Metalworking Nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time. He's more concerned about lunch than he is about the episode. No, I want to go exercise. Well, so do I. should get up <laughs> earlier. I don't exercise in the morning. Get up earlier and exercise.